Hello, and welcome to my podcast, John Scott Lawton's English You Know. In this episode, I'm talking to Zuzana Labashova around global education and critical thinking and the connection between the two. We'll touch on some quite delicate but very important matters about race, identity, a little bit about gender. We'll also talk about prejudice and discrimination, where it comes from, what it means, and how it affects people on an individual and societal level. We'll look at the role of education within the processes of changing attitudes and behaviours. We'll look at Susanna's work in terms of running an eco-centre and being involved in the training and teaching of educators, teachers especially, and the work that they do to enable people to have a dialogue, to have discussions around some of these matters to do with the ways in which we react with each other and we live with each other in society. We look at the psychology of human behaviour and why people do things they do, why they say the things they do and what impact they have on others, including looking as a trigger warning at some aspects of radicalisation, of radical thinking, which perhaps can be offensive to some, but which again we feel we need to have a dialogue about so people understand the issues and the language used and what we can do about it. I hope you enjoy this podcast series and if you'd like to be a guest on my show please do get in touch via my email which is given in the podcast description johnscottlawton at hotmail.co.uk or indeed if you wish to improve your English language skills and you feel that I may be able to help you then by all means please get in touch and we can have a discussion. Thank you very much indeed. Good morning, Susanna, or hello, and um, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast today. Delighted to see you. Um, the last day before your holiday, so um, you'll be excited and uh, hoping to get all your work finished, but I'm hoping we'll have a great conversation here. We're going to cover some very interesting perhaps some delicate topics. Some people may find these topics challenging, but I really think that uh, from my pre-conversation with you, this will be very interesting and very informative for people. So can you say a little bit about yourself and where you are and what you do? Yeah. Hello, everyone. My name is Susanna Labashova, and um, I'm, uh, I'm originally a psychologist, but my life path has kind of led me to do what I do in my life. Uh, when I was little, uh, my parents moved um, to a small island in the Mediterranean, and that was the first time when I experienced what it's like to be a foreigner in a different culture, in a different country. Um, and I was very much accepted in the new culture, and um, it was a very heart heartwarming feeling. Um, and because being in a new culture, uh, in a place where you don't understand the the patterns of behaviors and the language it's nice to feel welcome and then uh, when I was in my university studies uh, studying psychology I went to study in New York and San Francisco um, another culture to explore another strange context where I need to find my place um, and eventually I find, found um, my partner there who was a refugee from the South Africa, from South Africa uh, to the United States. Uh, and we have a daughter together and all those individual situations in my life uh, led me to 
work in education mm -hmm. and I work for a nonprofit called uh, the Center of Environmental and Ethical Education, Živica. I am, I am in charge of Komenského Institute, which is an institute, an institution that uh, basically teaches and gives support to teachers so that they can include in their education, in their teaching also soft skills, and they can prepare young people to the challenges of, um, of the world we're facing right now. That's really interesting. And, and the connection between your personal experience and now your professional life, there is a very real connect there, isn't there? There's a real connection between what drives you, what motivates you. Were you conscious of that as you were having all of these different experiences living in, in different countries? Did you realize that you were experiencing life in a different way or did you find challenges that helped you develop as a person? It actually all just came together once I returned back to Slovakia, because while I was living those experiences, it was kind of a natural flow. But then when I came back, I kind of experienced a bit of a culture shock because I realized that things work differently in Slovakia. And uh, and that's when I understood that I would want to try to change the way people perceive uh, strangers, different cultures, the way they um, they are driven by prejudice that have been long ingrained in our culture. And having a child uh, in Slovakia with a different complexion, with a darker complexion, was uh, something that was a really strong driver to try to change things because I actually, she was growing up in a context where people were valued depending on what they look like. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want her to be a second class citizen in my own country. Mm -hmm. And so that's where my passion for this kind of education um, originated. That's very understandable. And this is where we're now going to get into some quite delicate topics. And we'll make some comments about Slovakia, both from your perspective and my perspective as a foreigner who's lived there on and off for the last five and a half years. It's very interesting that there is something different about every country you go to and even regions within countries. So if we make comments which sound general, we're, and this is actually part of the basis of prejudice, uh, we're trying to base it on some kind of empirical evidence as well. So let's unpick prejudice, first of all. And you you mentioned that you were involved, you wanted to get involved in this work because of your daughter and her experiences. Were those experiences of discrimination that she faced, were they real? Were they overt? Were they open? Did people say things to her? Or was it something you perceived as part of her life experience as a child? Mm -hmm. um, maybe I'll start from even like before I uh, I had my daughter here. Uh -huh. uh, I always thought Slovaks are very kind, um, nice people, welcoming foreigners. There's a culture uh, of like, th there's a saying in Slovakia that um, a, a guest in our house is God in our house. So we value, we try to be really nice to, to strangers. 
But then when I started walking the streets of Bratislava and other parts of Slovakia with my ex-partner, my daughter's father and uh, and her, I realized there are different levels of guests or different guests we value more and then guests we value less. Um, and um, it was it was shocking for me to realize how much hatred people can have towards somebody who looks looks different even though they don't know him or her they don't know the context he or she's coming from so um when i was uh when my daughter was five years old we moved to central slovakia uh Bratislava was still kind of open-minded um even though she was really one of the few people with different complexion uh, that I saw in the streets of of Bratislava at that time. Uh, but moving to central Slovakia was was kind of tough because we live in the countryside. Uh, she would go to a small town of Zvolen to to go to her classes and uh, and uh, after school activities. And she would experience uh, difficult situations. Once I was next to her, it was kind of easier. But when she was alone in the town, people or like youngsters, uh, her peers would would spit at her. They would throw stones at her. And then there was one situation that kind of nailed it. And she was going to her English classes um, that were kind of in the evening. And she was walking towards the bus stop so that she could take the bus back home. And there was there was a group of teenagers who would just grab her and started to um, insult her, thinking she was a Roma person. And they would put a knife to her neck, and that was the situation where she said, "Okay, this is enough. I'm I just need to leave this place." And she since then she was twelve years old then, and uh, and that was um, that was the moment when she said, "I'm never going to go to the." city by myself anymore that's it so so that was for me also as a mother a very strong experience even though she didn't tell me about this only some year later that I realized something like this happened and these are the daily experiences aren't they of many people of color unfortunately in Slovakia yeah. and, and we I mean, are this... focusing on Slovakia and, and it's not to deride Slovakia it's not to attack it it's not to be critical it's really to unpick to try to understand where this prejudice comes from and what we can do about it importantly so can we look at prejudice then and say from a psychological point of view from a psychology point of view why do we need prejudice why do we have it um, the world we live in is extremely complex. It's very complicated and we need to make sense of it. To be comfortable in it, we need to feel some kind of safety and we need to have uh, understanding and that therefore we try to simplify the complexity of the world we live in. And so we build little boxes and we just place the different 
events and people uh, and things happening into different categories and boxes. And therefore, it's easier for us to navigate the world because we kind of have a feeling that we understand what's going on around us. Uh, but those boxes might be misleading because we might put wrong people into wrong boxes. And uh, <clears throat> and that's that's where prejudice and stereotypes happen. Mm -hmm. That's a very good way of describing it. I used to work with people with a learning disability. Uh, Americans might say or used to say intellectual handicap or intellectual disadvantage. And they had a great phrase, which was, labels are for jam jars not people so the minute you ascribe a label to one of those boxes you're talking about and in this box i'm going to put roma people in this box i'm going to put white people in this box i'm going to put black people we have a problem don't we because we are determining our definitions of people and what we believe them to be and how we think they behave and in your daughter's experience from what you said everything that those people who were attacking her or name calling her whatever they were doing those negative actions were all based on her skin color nothing to do with knowing her as a person only to do with the color of her skin and clearly basing somebody's value and somebody's life chances and even somebody's life you know the fact whether they can live or not you know somebody taking a knife to your daughter's throat is a very very serious matter again, based only on the color of her skin. So yes, how damaging that is and, and how frightening that is for her, for you. And actually that's damaging and frightening for a community because we've lost sense of our humanity there and our value as human beings. So connecting prejudice with discrimination, where do you feel the, is there a line that can be easily drawn there? Is there an association from these, this need to label things, this need to understand the world? Why does that then convert itself into discrimination in a negative sense? Well, I think there's another tendency that we naturally have. <clears throat> and in uh, psychology, it's called the in-group and out-group. So again, in the complex and complicated world, we need to feel we are part of something and then we're opposing somebody or something else so that the dynamics of our lives kind of make sense to us um, and therefore we create an in-group we identify with a certain group of people based on beliefs appearance context and then we find somebody we should oppose and that's also <clears throat> again, the basis of uh, <clears throat> all the disinformation where we basically try to find an enemy. And it's it's a natural tendency that could have could be seen also in COVID and in many pandemics that that were before that we try to find who is responsible for this. And then we jump to conclusions that are absolutely wrong just for our brain to be able to to make sense of what's going on. So we try to find enemies, we find try to find allies, and uh, and it's good to be aware of this tendency and to mm, maybe reflect on it and, and see whether we're not jumping to huge conclusions 
huge generalizations that actually harm us as much as they harm the others. Yes, because we connect things which shouldn't be connected or we make associations which are false. And then we base our learning on that and our experiences on that. How accurate is it to say that this is simply a fear of the unknown? That let's take your daughter's example. There were few people of color within Bratislava. People saw this young girl with brown skin and they felt, I don't know her. I don't know where she's from. Um, I'm frightened of her. Is that a sufficient defense for the kind of behavior that then is given to her or meted out to her? Or is it simply that we've not learnt enough about collaborative living and living with people who are different from us? Why is it that we make this association so quickly, so rapidly into a kind of defense mode? Yeah, it was very obvious that many people feared her, like they would not sit next to her in the bus or they would clutch their handbags because they were afraid she would steal something from them. Um, and the fear is in some people based on probably direct personal experience, but in many it's about that my neighbors friends, aunt said that her colleague did experience something. So it's very much um, something that is vivid uh, or is alive in our society. And, uh, and so our fear is very much not based on some real experience, some direct experience, but it's based on the stories that are in our society very, very much alive. Uh, and it's on both sides. I would say it's both on the side of the majority and on the Roma community. We're kind of afraid of each other mutually and we try to avoid each other because of all the all the histories that we have together. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, based on this, I would say that what is very important, and that's also the reason why I stayed in Slovakia, is that we need to break those stories or bring different stories and for me it's very heartwarming when my daughter went to a elementary school in a in a different village and there was a lot of fear uh, from the classmates from the teachers oh there's a brown child coming to our school what problems will it bring and eventually after those two or three years she was the only brown child different from the majority and after the two or three years that she spent there, she was very much appreciated and cared for and loved. And, and it broke the stories, the continuity of the stories that the people had in this village. And I think that's the way we need to take. Okay. So, can you go on, Susanna, say a little bit about the work that you do, particularly around global education, how you structure that, how you develop a syllabus that might go into that, and the kind of activities that you uh, put on, which help to promote that dialogue between people? Uh -huh. Maybe at the beginning, just uh, define or coin the term global education, because uh -huh. it's a huge topic. It's a huge um, area. 
And there are three sub areas, three little islands that are kind of connected together. Uh, one is uh, the environmental issues that surround, uh, that surround us that are global as well as local. So that's one topic of global education. The second topic of global education are the people who surround us, not the natural environment, but the people of different colors, different cultures in different parts of the world who are in many ways connected to us through production and consumption, through, um, through cultural interconnection. Um, so that's the second topic. And the third topic is our um it's an introspective part of global education where we delve deep into ourselves and explore what are our prejudices what are our uh, stereotypes how can we uh have a more complex idea of this world and understand that it's okay that things are complex we don't need to oversimplify things um so those are the three main pillars of global education and uh, I think this is something that is very much lacking in formal education, at least in Slovakia. We very much focus on facts and data and not interconnecting them together. Mm -hmm. But us as consumers, as members of this society, we very much need to understand how our consumption is connected to environmental issues, is connected to human rights, and to other people in other countries and other contexts, and also how all this connects to our inner, um, inner thinking, inner understanding of this whole big world we live in. Yes, I think, as you say, very important to make a connection between the economics of how we live our lives, what we choose to spend our money on. You know, many of us carry an iPhone around and we don't even think about where it's come from, how the metals used within it have been sourced or mined. And when you look at it and investigate it and you see that children are involved in producing these phones or in getting the materials needed to make them, you know, there is a consequence to that and there should be some kind of accountability on ourselves that says if i'm choosing to buy that piece of equipment then i'm also responsible for the production of that even though i'm not the person making it i'm choosing to buy it my money is going into that process of exploiting these children um, and unpicking all of that very complex delicate stuff for you and me i think it's very important that we spend the time doing that because if you don't, then you're just almost living in a in a bubble, in a vacuum, and you're not taking account of our positions in society and our relative positions compared to other people, and particularly, you know, in Western, and I include Slovakia in that, in Europe, you know, that we are privileged in many ways, but we live on that privilege, which has been built over hundreds, thousands of years, and there is a consequence to that. We have to think of our history. And we have to look back as well as forward, I think. Right. And I think we need to understand that we're part of the problems yes. that are 
around us. And also global education is not about like saying people do this or do that. For me, global education is about giving them all the information, giving the all the information to the people and let give, mm, giving them the choice to decide what they want to do with it. They can live their lives on just like they, they did before. But my experience is that if we also look at the other picture of, let's say, our cell phones, where we understand that the cell phone traveled way more, way more than we did in our lives, just to get from the raw materials to the production to the construction and all the way to our our hands, um, we understand the complexity much better, and it makes us make smarter decisions. Mm -hmm. Yes, informed decisions, you know, where we have the information and then we can decide, okay, it's my personal choice. I don't mind spending my money on this. Some people argue if I didn't pay for my iPhone, then those children wouldn't have a job mining those minerals, those materials. You know, it's an argument. Uh, it's not one I agree with, but it's one that, that people do make. What then about the connection there with critical thinking? Because you're suggesting there that people need to learn more in order to inform themselves and to look at the processes going on in our daily lives, many of which we take for granted. So how does critical thinking and your work on critical thinking help in that process? I think critical thinking is very much about finding connections and being able to find connections that actually um, connections between things that actually are connected and not connections between random things that kind of came together by accident many times. Um, critical thinking, I think, became even more necessary in our lives um, during pan the pandemic, the COVID pandemic, and um, the political situation, the war in Ukraine, because it we are uh, basically very much engulfed in a lot of information that come and a lot of information is true a lot of information is false and uh, i think our education needs to focus now not on giving people or children or young people information because they have plenty of it in their smartphones and everywhere around them we need to shift from education being about giving information to education being about helping them sift through the information and uh, try to discern what is true and what is false and uh, and help them make their own opinion based on um, make their own opinion based on information that is true and that is sourced from reliable sources. And do you teach people, do you teach teachers or do you teach children directly? How do you do that? Where do you start? I do both, but I mostly teach teachers because they have m much greater impact. They, they work with hundreds of children. And so I try to give teachers the tools uh, to bring critical thinking into their lesson plans and into their classrooms. Mm -hmm. And how do you do that? Do you organize courses? Do you organize seminars? Do you go to schools or do teachers come to you? Mm -hmm. um, 
the organization I work with, it has um, an education center in an eco-village in central Slovakia. And this is the place where the teachers usually come for our workshops uh, and uh, trainings. And that's where they together try to uh, learn new things, but also mm, learn mutually from each other and find new ways of of teaching in the formal setting, in the in the traditional classroom, but in a different way and in with a different focus. And do people find this process of looking at their own beliefs and their own attitudes and indeed their own behaviors, do teachers find that challenging or do they welcome that challenge? Um, I, I'm a psychologist, so I try to bring many, I try to bring as little theory as possible and try to bring as many practical down-to-earth experiments, um, ex exercises, so that they can experience critical thinking on themselves. Not, I don't give definitions um, and, and stuff like that. I try to uh, navigate them through the process of thinking, through their own experience, and also through storytelling. I really believe in storytelling as a very important tool uh, in teaching and uh, transmission of information, because that's what people, what people, what our brain is the most capable of, of integrating. Mm -hmm. And you said to me earlier that one of the important aspects here is how you promote dialogue and how teachers facilitate discussions in classrooms. Can you say a little bit about that, how you open up that aspect of critical thinking? Right. Um, maybe another like of my personal uh, reasons why I, uh, I'm very much invested into bringing dialogue into, into society is that I come from a family uh, where part of my family are right-wing extremists. So when I was when I was little, I was brought up in a context where uh, the adults would read Hitler's Mein Kampf in Sunday afternoons, and they would talk about the racial war that needs to come here, and we need to cleanse Slovakia of all the unwanted elements uh, in this country. So this is uh, this is the context I was brought up in, mm -hmm. and and. Uh, when I was a teenager, I started to realize this is not my path. This is not what I want uh, the world to be like. And um, and I believe that talking to people with those uh, opinions is important because otherwise we just create bubbles mm -hmm. and uh, we live next to each other. But a big tension in society is created mm -hmm. and our society is very much polarized and I believe we need to open those topics also with people who are on the other other side uh, other pole of opinions yeah. and and I try and I think schools are great environments to do this because we have Ch uh, children from all kinds of families there and it's a space where we can actually try to bring those bubbles together and and try to open a dialogue where they can 
um, they can reconsider the the preconceptions and their the ideas they they took from their families <laughs> and um, therefore i i think it's very important to to expose children to very different opinions and i think there are subjects in school like ethics or civic education where we can bring those topics and talk about them for a long time and hopefully uh we will find understanding amongst each other and probably like we don't want people to think the same thing all of them but we want them to be able to talk and respect each other for thinking different things yes yeah. that's a really challenging background to come from and to live through and then to make the decision to live differently you know that's a major a major shift uh, in your family's experience when you're working with teachers you develop tools for them like lesson plans don't you can you say a bit more about the practical hints and tips or techniques or things that you give teachers when they come away from your center what do they go back to their school with in their hands and in their heads that they can then use to promote this dialogue uh, we have created several materials because global education is kind of covers many subjects and ideally it should be taught in mathematics, in Slovak language, in biology, chemistry, um, history. It's it's kind of important to bring it into different subjects and therefore it's uh, it's difficult to create lesson plans, universal lesson plans with global education to all grades and all subjects. But we tried to uh, create materials that are usable in different subjects that touch different topics. And we have created um, uh, a book of activities for for elementary and high schools where we give specific activities uh, well described which they can which can be used in classes uh, and it's available uh, for free online it's a downloadable downloadable document and it's called Como Patrizem and uh, then we have uh, smaller um, lesson plans or less complex lesson plans focusing on different topics just like we talked about electronics and the life cycle of electronics we have a, a, um, a booklet on this and many other issues and they can all be found on our website excellent and we're going to put links aren't we to the website and even indeed to the slovak materials are any of them available in english or are they all in slovak um let me think we did um the complex lesson plan was uh, done in collaboration with other countries so there might be an english version but i would need to check this out okay that's great and we can put those whatever we can we'll put connections in and mm -hmm. tell me more about the eco center you said it's a a green center or environmentally friendly it's built in that way and it promotes an environmental awareness uh, tell me some of the features of the center what it's like and how people find out about you and where they what they would do when they come to you uh -huh. uh, we are located in the oldest and probably the most well-known eco village in slovakia it's called zaježova 
So it's a settlement of 300 people who moved here because they wanted to live a more eco-friendly lifestyle. And our education is an old farmhouse, which was reconstructed with natural materials. We used straw bales and uh, adobe plasters. And we have um, uh, a, a power plant, a photovoltaic power plant on our roof. And we try, we are located in a beautiful environment. And we try to, or people coming from their regular contexts, um, say they always find it inspiring because um, it's different and it helps them to think out of the box. It helps them to leave behind some of their uh, preconceptions or like set ways of doing things. And it opens the space of creativity to start looking for new solutions. Uh, we have uh, a kitchen there where they only cook vegetarian food, which is also very inspiring to people because most of the vegetarian dishes you get in Slovak restaurants are like fried cheese and something sweet and we are trying to um, bring or offer food that is very complex coming from different cultures we have Indian vegetarian food and Mexican vegetarian food and traditional Slovak but vegetarian food um, so we're trying to open uh open the people to other other possibilities because i think that's that's the most important thing that people need to see that there are so many different ways we can live uh in this planet so we're opening the space to to open them to different possibilities of living yes And you run courses there, don't you? And, and in fact, we've begun a discussion where I would like to run some of my uh, weekend residential retreats at your centre as, as a kind of double benefit. I've, I've been told I should promote my English language teaching more promote, uh, more prominently in these podcasts. Yes, I am an English teacher. And if you want to learn English, I can help you with that. But I also like to engage with these different topics and, as you say, promote dialogue. And environmental issues are very important to me. Coming to somewhere like your centre seems to me, it makes it real, it makes it possible. People can see, you know, every aspect of your life is connected to the earth in some way. And I don't know why, you know, there are many reasons why we've almost lost that sense in many aspects of our lives. And we've lost that connection with nature, with the environment, with the world. And, and that's something that is very real in Slovakia, that people are more connected, I would say, to the environment, to the earth, than they are in Britain. Britain has lost its way in many respects, including this one. Um, we're gradually, slowly getting it back, but rambling a bit here. But what I'm saying is those connections, that connectivity between people, the earth, how we live, and why we do what we do, it seems to me it, it all comes together in your work. And then this aspect of asking ourselves, why do I believe this? Why do I say this you know why do i use this language to describe this situation so it's a very real human kind of way of living isn't it yes and it um also the bigger context of our education the the eco village and um which has been around for about 25 years now um offers maybe alternatives 
to life. Like we have our own community school and we have our food bank where we buy in bulk and we we don't buy little containers of things, but we bring our own containers. Uh, it's very much built on trust among people living here and uh, very much in tune with nature. We carpool here every day and we uh, offer carpooling also to people coming to our trainings. We have an application where we try to network those people and make them come together instead of every single one coming in their own car. Yes. Um, and, and so we try to walk the talk basically and, uh, and show that there are many different possibilities and, and they are livable because we try to live them ourselves in our lives. Mm -hmm. and do you make the economic argument because that's something that when i used to do anti-racism work i often struggled about whether i was changing people's attitudes or changing their behaviors and i got stuck in that debate and i'm not sure whether it matters whether i'm changing their attitude or their behavior but when you could bring economics into it and actually say oh and by the way Treating people fairly in the workplace, women, black people, disabled people, is actually good for the business. It's, it makes economic sense. It makes financial or commercial sense. Then for some people, that was a driving and a deciding factor. It was only then that they realized, oh, yeah, hang on. This is right. You know, there are N million disabled people in Britain. Maybe I should be targeting them for my business, for my service. So do you make an economic argument for this, a financial one, or do you leave people to make that conclusion for themselves? Uh, we don't emphasize this very much, and I'm not really sure if it's that true for Slovakia as well. It might make more sense, I think, in Western Europe, but I'm not sure if this is as relevant in Slovakia, mm. if you know what I mean. Yeah. It'd been an interesting one to unpick, isn't it? To actually try try to quantify um, mm -hmm. whether there are financial benefits. As I say, for some people, it's the touch point. It's the it's the bit that makes the light bulb go on. You know, they they realise, oh, hang on, yeah, maybe she's got a point. We have got a point on many levels. Let's try and wrap one up into spiritual, the spiritual sense of what you do. And um, we didn't pre-prep for this. I'm just thinking it through. Is there a sense that leaving religion aside or maybe including religion, when you're working with people closely, do you feel that they are changing their sense of themselves and how they live their lives? What are the impacts that you're looking for or what are people looking for for themselves when they come and spend time with you? Uh, well, we have been around for some 23 years now, so we do have a lot of feedback and also like long term feedback. And uh, when we talk to people who mm, came to our trainings, uh, what they many times say is that it was uh, it was useful for them from the professional viewpoint like they learned new things when it comes to education etc but it was also uh what it caused is also a personality change and so that's very important for me because i think good teachers are are good people and in, inside themselves and it's interconnected so i'm i'm glad that it 
not only gives them professional growth, but also personal growth. And that's very important for me. Um, and I think we all need hope in our lives and kind of the feeling that that the world is a good and safe place to live in. I think that gives people a lot of hope. And actually there's one great uh, psychological experiment that was made in the 60s. And uh, it was about, there was a psychologist called Korter and he made an experiment with rats. He would take a bucket of water and he wanted to test how long the rats would last in the bucket before they drown. And um, the regular experience he tried with domesticated rats, also with white rats who are uh, wild rats who are really good swimmers. And uh, they would usually last about about six or 10 minutes before they drowned. They would go through the bucket, dive down um, and see whether there's an exit they could they could ex escape through. But when they saw there's no there's no exit, they would just give in and they would drown. And then what he did, he changed the experiment where he, when the the rats were already very uh, exhausted and drowning, he would take them out, he would dry them off, he would pet them, give them a little bit of food, and then he would throw them in the bucket again. And, uh, and that was the biggest changing thing that happened to them because after the rats experienced hope, they would last in the bucket and try to survive for two and a half days instead of those 10 minutes. And those were rats. And we as humans are, are even more complex beings. And I think hope is even more important in our lives. So what we try to bring in our trainings is also the feeling of hope and trust among people, because I think that's the most important glue that we have in our society. Very true. And that experiment, although controversial, really does prove the power of hope, doesn't it? Um, my inspiration for this was always Nelson Mandela and the way he lived his life and his you know, aspiration that people could live freely and equally, which makes that connection back to South Africa and your former husband's life, um, the experience of being an Asian person living, growing up in South Africa, the challenges there. You know, Mandela always said that what kept him going for 27 years in prison on Robben Island was this fact that things could be different. He had a vision that there would be change and that hope was critical. And I think... Hope is what humanity needs at the minute. I think we are facing a number of challenges globally. Um, we're struggling. We need some good leadership. Um, we need a new Mandela. We need somebody else who can step forward and guide the world into a better place because we are turning on ourselves, I think, a little bit and lacking understanding. But initiatives like yours, the work that you're doing, the work you know that's been going on there for a long time is absolutely critical um, no matter the scale, the fact that it's happening is is to be valued and to be cherished because we need that work, um, in my opinion, um, to go forward. Is there anything you'd like to say, Susanna, we've not covered that uh, sort of describes your work? And you've talked very eloquently about the, the impact of your work being on a personal but also a professional level. I think that's very valuable for people to hear. 
Uh, we'll make connections as to how people can contact you. But anything else you'd like to say as we finish? Maybe just because I work with teachers, I I would be very happy if what we do would lead people to appreciate teachers more, because at least in Slovakia, teachers are, are do not have a really like big influence in society, and they they are not valued as much. Um, and, uh, and I think it's important to understand that our children spend in schools and with teachers hours and hours of their lives and choosing or mm, emphasizing or finding it important to choose a good school and good teachers and appreciating them is, is very much something that is not important only for our children, but important for our society. Yeah, because that's that they they create and form the children that will be the future leaders and people who will guide this world to a, to new places. Uh, as an educator, I've I very much agree it, but I'd go as far as saying it's all lifelong. So you know, I most of my working life, although I have worked with children, was also spent with adults. And I think we have to give adults a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, a fifth chance, you know, higher education, further education, learning actually never stops. And I think that intergenerational and lifelong aspect of learning is something, you know, yes, of course, predominantly it starts with educating children. That's so valuable. But anybody in a teaching or education role, I think, has a purpose. They have a drive. Um, they often do get dispirited because they sometimes don't see immediately the impact of their work. So that feedback, and if teachers are not valued, that just makes that situation worse for them. Uh, but I think people need to work with confidence. And again, teachers need to work with hope as well that, that their work is seen as valuable. So I think you're very right there. Yeah, and maybe maybe one more um, thought that I have is that if we don't keep learning our whole lives, that's where we make the biggest mistakes. Yes. When we feel that we have learned enough and that we already know enough is where we make the biggest mistakes. Yes, exactly. You know, for me, the more I learn, the less I realize I don't know very much. <laughs> the older I get, the more I realize, oh, I've still got so much to learn and I'm almost accelerating my learning now because you know, I'm getting older and you know naturally I'm running out of time and I realize the connections between aspects of my life or aspects of what I know are so tenuous they're so not false but they they're weak you know they need to be worked on and that's something I think that you know we assume we know a lot when we've got a degree or two degrees or a master's degree whatever but actually what do we really know what do we really believe and I think Hopefully our conversation has stimulated that thought in some listeners. And um, Susanna, could I thank you very, very much? We'll make all those links. Uh, so I'll need that sort of description of yourself. We can put that in the podcast description before you go on holiday, and then we'll go for a release. Uh, but thank you very, very much indeed for your time. And that's been, been marvelous. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much.